Psalm chapter 18. I love you, Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my deliverer. My God is my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I call to the Lord who is worthy of praise, and I have been saved from my enemies. The cords of death entangled me. The torrents of destruction overwhelmed me. The cords of the grave coiled around me. The snares of death confronted me. In my distress, I called to the Lord. I cried to my God for help. From his temple, he heard my voice. My cry came before him into his ears. The earth trembled and quaked, and the foundations of the mountain shook. They trembled because he was angry. Smoke rose from his nostrils. Consuming fire came from his mouth. Burning coals blazed out of it. He parted the heavens and came down. Dark clouds were under his feet. He mounted the cherubim and flew. He soared on the wings of the wind. He made darkness his covering, his canopy around him, the dark rain clouds of the sky. Out of the brightness of his presence, clouds advanced with hailstones and bolts of lightning. The Lord thundered from heaven. The voice of the Most High resounded. He shot his arrows and scattered the enemy. With great bolts of lightning, he routed them. The valleys of the sea were exposed and the foundations of the earth laid bare at your rebuke, Lord, at the blast of breath from your nostrils. He reached down from on high and took hold of me. He drew me out of deep waters. He rescued me from my powerful enemy, from my foes who were too strong for me. They confronted me in the day of my disaster, but the Lord was my support. He brought me into a spacious place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. Amen and amen. How awesome is our God today, church. How glorious and praiseworthy is he for all eternity. Thanks so much for, for reading that psalm, the first 19 verses. This is a wonderful and a powerful psalm of David. And even though David wrote this song for his people in his time, God was writing a psalm for his people in his time. Do you see it? The feelings of, of desperation and helplessness that David had, they're common to all humanity. And God's righteous salvation, which David knew personally, this salvation is always at hand. God is saving people from all nations all over the world, even as we speak. And so I'm really excited to get into this passage today. But first, I want to recap for you our series. Where are we in this teaching series? And Pastor Brian mentioned we're, we're starting this new series called The Four G's. And he started this last week. The fundamental idea behind this series is that every single sin can be traced back to some lie that we're believing about God. That there's some form of unbelief at the root of every sin. And so, what are the four G's? Well, each G is a doctrine. It's, it's a truth about God that we can arm ourselves with. It's some fact about who God is. And so, instead of setting our minds on the flesh, thinking lies about God and about ourselves, we can set our minds on the spirit, which is truth, which is life, which is peace. And so, in this way, we can be transformed by the renewing of our minds. And that's what we want to accomplish with this series. The, that's what we want our whole church family to be transformed 
into the image of Christ day by day by continual faithfulness to become more and more like Jesus. So today, we will dive into the first of these four Gs, the first truth that can transform us into a faithful and holy worshiper of Jesus Christ. But the way I want to approach this is I'm not going to just start off with the, the word for you. I'm actually going to work from the bottom up. So we'll start in Psalm 18 here, a story from Scripture, and then we'll work our way up towards this theological doctrine that categorizes it really neatly. It's almost like we're working from the ground up, taking God's special revelation, right, his unique and holy Bible, and then we're working out an understanding in our own minds about who he is. Okay, so that's how we're going to get started here. I'd like to look at verses 4 and 5 in Psalm 18. And when we start out this psalm, we see that David's in a tough spot. So I call it scene one, the situation. All right, let's get in our heads, where is David in this story? What's the situation today? He says in verse 4, The cords of death entangled me. The torrents of destruction overwhelmed me. The cords of the grave coiled around me. The snares of death confronted me. Now, I don't think it takes a seminary degree to understand that David is in a tight spot here. Okay, to be entangled, overwhelmed, coiled around and confronted by death. That's not a place I would want to be. I don't know about you guys. But it's important to note here that David's not speaking about a specific instance, some singular event in his life. What he's doing is, is this is a poetic description of David remembering back how God has saved him. Okay, so he's scared to death. He's surrounded by his enemies. But this is just a poetic description. It's not like there's one particular historical event that he's referring to. And it's, it's like when he's getting older, right? He might be reflecting back and thinking about, oh, over his whole life, how God has provided for him. Some of you might be visual learners. And so I, I have a good photo here. This is an artist's depiction of David's situation. Not a good one. Not a good one for sure. Have you... Uh, have you ever felt like this, where there's tentacles wrapping up and, and coiling around you? You feel like even if you were to escape those cords, you can't even go onto the dry land because there's traps everywhere set for you. And you can see that he's being overwhelmed by the ocean, even in this photo, right? This is not a place that David wants to be, and he's scared for his life. Friends, does this situation remind you of anything in your life? Maybe you've been a part of a community where it seemed like everybody was against you. Your co-workers, your workout buddy, people you thought were even your close friends, everywhere you looked, were enemies. You couldn't trust them, you were isolated and alone, and you felt like there was no feasible way out. It's almost as if you were gasping for air every day. Or maybe the pandemic has felt this way for you. It seems like everything in this world is just built against your success. You try to adjust your lifestyle, stay ahead of the science, but bang, you're hit with more changes to the protocols. You can't succeed no matter where you look. Or maybe some of you have actually been to war. Maybe there were enemy forces literally surrounding your camp who had come down with the intention to kill you and your friends, and they were attacking your commanding officers. It seemed like all was lost. Chaos was winning over peace. If you felt overwhelmed like this, if you've known the fear of powerful forces surrounding you, then you can identify with David in these verses. You know what it's like. Remember, 
that David's being poetic with his descriptions here. So you don't need to literally have an event in your life where you're trapped to know what he's feeling, right? The universal human experience of helplessness, that can be understood by everybody here today. And if you're thinking that David might have been afraid in his scenario, I would say you're correct, and rightfully so. You know, sometimes it really is the correct response to be afraid if you're in a situation like this. I remember I went to uh, the Amazon jungle, actually, for a few months. I lived there um, in college because I was doing a field research study abroad. And it was for my biology degree. And it was great. I mean, we would go out on, into the rainforest. We would examine plants. We would spot cool animals. I saw a lot of monkeys. It was a lot of fun. And we really just learned so much about the ecosystem that we were in. Well, one day, we were on a hike in the rainforest. And there were two girls in the group, and they were sort of towards the back. Now, they're towards the back, so there shouldn't be anything behind them, right? They're walking along, they're walking along, and they hear the sound of a twig snap. They quickly look behind them. Guys, it was a cougar. Just for a second, there was a cougar that was stalking our group. And they saw it, and then it quick darted into the trees. And they never saw it or heard it again, which, if you know cougars, does not mean that it's not there. Um, it just means that you don't know it's there and where it is anymore, which is terrifying. So, this whole trip for those two girls, and I didn't even learn about this until after we got back safely, but this was terrifying for them. They, this changed from like a fun trip into a, in a beautiful place into this like tropical prison where death was around every corner. They were like, if I just slow down, tie my shoe for too long, because you know, a cougar's not gonna attack the whole group, but if you were alone, there's really nothing they could do to stop it from striking them. They were helpless. They were out of their element. They had walked right into a trap. Can't you feel that sense of certain doom? Even just looking at the eyes of this thing, you're like, uh. That fear as you get surrounded by death. That's David's experience here, right? Death is already upon him. He's already overwhelmed. And all is hopeless and lost. What can he do, right? What is there to do? There's nothing in his own power or might that can overcome this situation. So I want to move on to the next one. If scene one was the situation, scene two is called desperation. Desperation. And this, we want to look at verse six. In my distress, I called to the Lord. I cried to my God for help. From his temple, he heard my voice. My cry came before him into his ears. And so when David's in this place of distress, what's his response? He called to the Lord. What a faithful response. Right? How often do we not act like this? How often do we just get swallowed up by sin? We, we see the situation we're in, we're terrified, and we just throw in the towel. We give up. You know, we hang our heads low. Oh, there's nothing I can do. I'm helpless. Or maybe there's a different response. Maybe when we're in a tough spot, we don't hang our heads low, but we just look inward to our own abilities. And we say, I'm just going to grit my teeth and I'm going to get through this. It's me or it's nobody. Now or never. So, those are two pretty common responses, right? But that's not what David does. He doesn't hang his head low in defeat. He doesn't look inward for some surge of magical strength for him to overcome this problem. He looks up to the Lord, and he cried to the Lord. It's beautiful here. We, we see a picture of maybe God sitting on his throne in heaven, and then you just see God's ears perk up a little bit because he hears David's cries. He hears David. God hears him. It's like his children is, are crying out for help. God is a father who listens. 
and he hears you. Wouldn't we be praying more fervently if we just believed this about God? That God heard our voices? Christians, don't be fooled by the devil. He wants you to think that God never hears your prayers. He wants you to think that you're on your own, too busy with other more important matters. But that's not how David sees this. That's not what's happening. No, God hears the cries of his people. They come before God and enter into his ears. And what happens next is is totally glorious, right? Verses 7 through 15 describe the next scene of the story. The next scene is the reaction. The reaction, God's reaction to the cries of David. After he hears David's cries in distress, what happens? What does he do? Verse 7, the earth trembled and quaked. The foundations of the mountain shook. They trembled because he was angry. Smoke rose from his nostrils. Consuming fire came out of his mouth. Burning coals blazed out of it. He parted the heavens and came down. Dark clouds were under his feet. He mounted the cherubim and he flew. He soared on the wings of the wind. He made darkness his covering, his canopy around him, the dark rain clouds of the sky. Out of the brightness of his presence, clouds advanced. With hailstones and bolts of lightning, the Lord thundered from heaven. The voice of the Most High resounded. He shot his arrows and scattered the enemy. With great bolts of lightning, he routed them. The valleys of the sea were exposed, and the foundations of the earth laid bare at your rebuke, Lord, at the blast of breath from your nostrils. God's response, God's reaction to David's cries, it's startling. It's ferocious. His anger is kindled because somebody that he loves is in trouble. A man that God formed in the womb, he taught to live justly, emboldened with faith, and provided for every single day of his life. This man was crying out for help. Of course God would act. Of course God would act. What kind of a father wouldn't rise from his chair and go help his children? And when God moves, all of creation groans along with the shifting wings. Except it's not just like an old house creaking when the floors, when somebody walks across the floor, it's entire mountains shaking. The foundations are shaking when God is roused. If you've ever seen the Godzilla movies, this kind of reminds me of that description, right? That the earth is trembling and quaking, and it's because God is angry. David speaks of God's anger as if God were a dragon. Smoke rising from his nostrils, fire coming from his mouth. What a scary picture that is. A scary picture. And then God parts the heavens and came down. This awesome God whose whose anger alone shakes the earth opened the sky like a curtain and steps down into our world. This story that David's telling, it really should be a fear-inducing one. If you aren't afraid of this powerful, angry God who's coming down into our world, like, oh, what's he going to do? Then you're not understanding how David is describing this. Right? He, he sees his God as righteous, and he sees him as loving, and he sees him as scary to his enemies. You don't want to mess with this God. So after he comes down, all of creation is at his disposal, right? He created all things. He mounts some angelic creatures, probably the fastest creatures there are, And he flies away on the clouds like the wind. This picture is so cool because I I can identify with this a little bit. I I was on a plane recently. We were coming back to Philly. And, you know, when you're on an airplane, sometimes you like to look out the window. 
and you like to see, oh, can I spot anything that I recognize? Or even just to look at the little people and like, oh, this is kind of a fun view. Um, so I'm sure some of you have done that as well. It's, it's a lot of fun. Well, because we were coming from west of Philly, that's like where I grew up, I could actually spot a few things. I was like, oh, that's the Limerick Power Plant. You can see the towers and, oh, there's 422, that highway. And I just remember all of these times that I've spent driving to Philly from those places. And it would take like, like an hour and a half probably with traffic. I mean, maybe without traffic, it's an hour and you got a, a miracle day and you're not having to worry about it. But usually it's about an hour and a half. And the whole time you're driving, you got a beep of the horn, you got to change lanes, you're like very alert. It takes an hour and a half. I was back down, we touched down in Philly 10 minutes later. 10 minutes, and all I had to do was sit back, have my drink, it was easy. It was great, I was amazing. How, I can travel so quickly if I just do it on a jet engine, what's, you know? But I want you to think about that picture of, of flying on a jet engine through the sky like quickly and easily, that's what God is doing, right? It doesn't take him very much effort. He just gets on his horse and he goes, you know? It, it, he can do he can come to our aid so quickly and so easily. And that's what he does for David here. All the while, while he's moving, a storm is going out before him. Dark clouds moving along the sky. God's glorious presence is sending hail and lightning down to the ground. God speaks and his voice thunders across the land. The enemies that were surrounding David, they're just scattered by how vicious this storm is. They're gone. They don't want to be around here. And and then God arrives to where David is. He arrives, and remember that David had been drowning in this overwhelming sea, crying out to the Lord. What does God do when he gets there? Well, David's not drowning in the sea anymore. God gets there, and he breathes out of his nostrils. He goes like, and it parts the sea. This picture of the land underneath the ocean, which is usually covered by so much of the, of the water, just blown away by God, by his nostrils. That's crazy. What a powerful and intense and climactic moment in the story, right? But why all the stormy imagery? Because when you think about this, there's just so much stormy imagery that, that David uses. Why would he describe God's rescue as if God were some dragon riding on a storm? And this is where I'm going to finally give away the, the first G of the series. Some of you might have been paying attention on YouTube. It's, it's the title, so it's not that big of a surprise. But the first G, are you ready? God is glorious. God is glorious. And we can see why David is using this stormy imagery. Because he describes God in a way that gives us a picture of the amazing glory of God. That's what he's doing here. The Lord inspires awe. And there are many things that we could think of that inspire awe. Maybe you think of, of a volcano and it's erupting. There's just massive plumes of smoke going into the sky, lava spewing out everywhere. Or maybe uh, an elephant charging you. If you've ever seen those just massive elephants, tusks the size of a human, just charging at somebody. It's terrifying, but it's like awe-inspiring. Or even like the, the universe. If you're thinking about stars swirling around and colliding into a supernova, just these massive explosions. These are all really awesome things. Awesome things. And God does show his glory in these ways. But the ancient Israelites would have been intimately familiar 
with the terrible storms that David's describing, right? They, they might not have known a volcano or an elephant or, or the stars colliding, but they would definitely identify with the storm imagery that David uses here. Some of them might have even been on boats during a storm. If, you, if you've seen images, or maybe you were a sailor, I don't know, but those boats can go through massive waves, and it's just terrifying. The whole foundations are shaking around you. It's, it's definitely very um, awe-inspiring. And so they might have been in a storm, and they would easily be able to relate to this kind of imagery. I mean, who, in some case, cases, who can't, right? I mean, we have all been through a storm. You can all remember maybe when there was a, a shock, this thunderous um, sound that just shakes the whole house, and you're like, whoa, I didn't even know there was a storm going on. It's crazy. It brings you to your knees. Well, I want to take, take a look at the last part of this psalm. And there's a scene I have here, scene four. It's called the rescue, or I call it the rescue. After coming to David in this glorious, stormy imagery, God comes to David. Remember, this is a poetic description of, of God here. We look at how... God rescues David. God rescues David. Verse 16, he reached down from on high and he took hold of me. He drew me out of deep waters. He rescued me from my powerful enemy, from my foes who were too strong for me. They confronted me in the day of my disaster, but the Lord was my support. He brought me out into a spacious place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. And the first verse here, verse 16, he reached down from on high and took hold of me. When I read that, I was like, I don't want this terrifying God taking hold of me. Like, after all of that description, that majestic, amazing, awe-inspiring, fear-inducing language, that doesn't seem like a good thing. But I want to I think about why this doesn't terrify David, right? Instead of, of terrifying him, it's a beacon of hope, because he's come to save him. And that's what I want to explain. Like, think about when you're watching a sporting event. You might see these massive athletes that are so strong and fit, and it would be a terrifying thing to look at them and be like, I have to run against this guy, you know? If you're setting up and you're like, dang, this guy's really strong. Like, I don't want to, I don't want to go against him. In, like, the Olympics, for example, we just saw some of the Olympics. Well, think about if that person's on your team. Now, that's a different story. Right? You want the biggest and the baddest on your team. <laughs> You're like, this is great. This guy's terrifying, and he's fighting for me. That's how David feels. right? He isn't scared that God is going to harm him or use his mighty power to harm him in any way. He's delighted because God is coming to his rescue. He's on his team. And let's just talk about the enemies that David is experiencing here, the, the trouble that he's in, where these enemies... Something that David was mocking? Were the enemies weak and silly compared to this great warrior David, right, who's killed his tens of thousands? No. David said that his foes were too strong for me. They were too strong for him. He admits that he is weaker than these enemies that are surrounding him. He's afraid for his life. And that's a key element to the story. Because we can sometimes put David on this pedestal that he's just the greatest. And in history, there are some things like he really was. But... This man is just like a man like you or me. You know, he was afraid of a deadly enemy. Somebody's more powerful than him, and he's worried that he's going to die. And so in his desperation, he calls out to the Lord. But were the enemies that he was taken under by, were they 
too strong for the Lord? No. Not this glorious God we've been reading about. His voice thunders and lightning strikes from his presence. The enemies just scatter when he comes. He doesn't even have to, like, he just speaks. The thunderous voice scares them. He sends a few lightning bolts. It's not even that hard for him. He just shows up and they all scatter, you know? And that's when he rescues David. He rescues him and takes him from where he was cornered into a, into a safe, spacious place. So that's the story for today. I, I want to talk a little bit about application. What's the application of this? And I hope that everyone here has heard and understood that God is glorious. Through David's poetic language, you can just feel it. You know it. When you listen to these words, it's such a vivid description of the spiritual reality of the God that we have as our Savior. He's powerful. He's mighty. And so we don't have to fear others. That's the practical takeaway from this. God is glorious, so we don't have to fear others. And you might be ensnared by the coils of death. You might be confronted by death. You might be overpowered by stronger enemies than you. But God is more glorious than the power of death. It's true that we may die, but God will give us life. Right? In a later psalm, David goes on to say, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? And you can say this kind of thing after being saved by a, a God so glorious. So at this point, I just want to bring it back to the beginning of Psalm 18. Because if you notice, I started in verse 4. Because that's really where the, the story kind of comes in. But verses 1 through 3, they say, I love you, Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my deliverer. My God is my rock in whom I take my refuge. My shield and the horn of my salvation my stronghold. I called to the Lord who is worthy of praise, and I have been saved from my enemies. And this is just such a great summary statement of what's been happening here in this story. David can say this after being saved from certain death. And I just want to challenge you guys this morning. Can you say this along with David? Can you truly and honestly say that the Lord is my deliverer, the Lord is my salvation, my stronghold, Maybe some of you were, were listening to me describing this glorious God and you were like, man, I, I wish I had a God like that. I wish God were like that to me. I wish I had a Savior that was so glorious that he could come so quickly and, and just save me when I cry out for, for help. Well, my friend, you have found that God today. This is the God we're talking about. And I want to see verse 19. I mentioned this earlier, but God rescued David because he delighted in him. So you might say, well, great, yeah, this glorious God saved David, but he doesn't save me. Well, why did he save David? Because he delighted in him. And how can God delight in him? He wasn't a perfect man. You, you know the story of David and Bathsheba, right? How can God delight in a person who does this sort of thing? How can God delight in you? You're not perfect. I'm not perfect. How can God delight in me? How can he come and save me because he delights in us? It's only by the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. The Son of God is the mediator between God and man who makes peace. You want this glorious God on your side as the, as the teammate who's so strong and can take out your enemies? But humans, we don't start on the side of God. We don't naturally start on God's side. It's much more common to be an enemy of God than to be a delight in his eyes. But Jesus changed all of that. See, before, it was a small little 
group of people that God had chosen, and everybody else in the world was out, and God hated them. I mean, at one point, he wiped out the world with a flood. But now, Jesus has opened the door so that many from all nations can come to him. This salvation of God is open to everybody who hears and who believes. We are justified by Jesus' sacrifice on the cross because Jesus was the perfect man. Jesus was the one who God delighted in. And if you have faith in this Messiah, this Jesus who came, you will be a delight in God's sight as well. We're justified through faith in Jesus. Just simply believe the good news that I'm sharing with you this morning and you will be a delight to the Lord. God will save you from death. And the angels in heaven will celebrate the welcoming of another son or daughter into the family. Let's pray. God, I pray for anybody who hasn't yet been rescued by you. You know their troubles, Lord. Save these people today. Make them realize their need for you. Show them their true state of their life, how ensnared they are by death and desperately helpless. Then, Lord, answer their cries and transform their minds. Lord, I also pray for those of us who have been saved by you. May we just consider your glory and smile. May we truly have faith in your power and your might to deliver us from our calamities. And finally, Lord, may we glorify and praise your name forever in heaven. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.